Hey, welcome everybody to this next episode of Doing the Thing. I'm your host, Philip Macko, on behalf of Jason Madden. I want to welcome you, encourage you to subscribe. Look, we've had some very cool uh, past episodes. The last one we talked about that inner voice that nags you, questions you, and how to deal with that. We had a chance to interview TEDx speaker and author uh, Ash Davis. Uh, we talked about, you know, in the job market, in your career, do you stay loyal to companies or do you be a merc and think of yourself, right? But um, <clears throat> I am most excited about today's conversation. And um, today we're going to be talking to Gary Geller. And we're talking world record setting Everest Summoner Gary Geller. We're talking Marathon the Saab alum Gary Geller. We're talking Ironman Gary Geller. We're talking Choi Oyu Gary Geller. But most importantly, we're talking to a dear friend of mine and a personal inspiration, the co-author of our book, Make Others Greater. So, Gary, welcome. So glad to have you. Oh, thank you for having me, Mr. Philip. Nice to see you, as always. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Really nice to be here. Thank uh, you. Yeah, it is our pleasure. And, uh, you know, I think there is no better way to kick off this session than um, <clears throat> listening to the ABC News clip. So without further ado, I'd like to share that with our listeners. And get ready. Two stories tonight about human achievement and the quest for overcoming obstacles. And they come from the sports of mountain climbing and golf. Mountain climbing first and Mount Everest, which has fascinated man for centuries. It is foreboding. It is beautiful. It is mysterious. ABC's Mark Litke is at Mount Everest. It's been a remarkable week of firsts on the world's highest peak, but perhaps the most inspiring first today was that of 36-year-old American Gary Guller, who lost his left arm in a climbing accident four years ago. He had led a team of Texans with disabilities on a grueling 17-day trek to Everest Base Camp, a remarkable Everest first in its own right. But then Guller immediately began his own assault on the summit, the first attempt by a climber with one arm. It was treacherous from the start, as fierce winds slowed his team's advance for days. But as fast as it deteriorates, weather can suddenly improve on Everest. And after a 17-hour final push today, Gary Guller stood on top of the world. <laughs> wow. 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 You know, Gary, I've got to ask, um, what is it like to see that clip? Uh, it's, uh, honestly, it's very, it's still very surreal, really. I mean, you know, 26 years, $2 million, two ex-wives, a missing, you know, left arm, a couple of dead friends along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally the success that happened. You know, it's uh, to watch that. My heart starts racing. My hands start getting sweaty. I'm like, oh, my God. I am so glad that uh, that dream finally came true. And, uh, no, it's, it's amazing. I've watched that video more than 10,000 times in my life all across the globe. And uh, I never, ever get tired of watching that minute and 30-second clip. And I hope I never do. I hope I never, ever do. Oh, it's so incredible. And, you know, um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Gary's story and the Team Everest story, listen, first of all, we're in the, in the world we're in today, we're so caught up in this digital media and what, you know, 
celebrities are wearing and doing and saying that sometimes the, the real inspirational message of something just so powerful, incredible that has happened sometimes gets lost in that shuffle. And that's one of the reasons I'm so glad to have Gary here because Gary, I would love you to start off by just talking about that team Everest experience. Oh, I mean, awesome. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and it was, it was one of the greatest teams ever uh, that I've ever known of. I was just fortunate enough to be part of that. You know, Team Everest, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize this thing started in a small uh, presentation room in El Paso, Texas. I gave a, a presentation to a, a group of folks, and uh, at the presentation, the lights came on. I could see the audience in the room. This gentleman was struggling with everything that they had for me to see his hand, and I walked back to the back of the, back of the room, and I saw it was a person in a wheelchair that could only move one part of his body. And I looked at this gentleman in the eye, and I'm like, yes, sir, what, do you have a question? And this guy, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Mr. Guller, would you ever take somebody like me to some of the places that you've been to? And honestly, I'm sitting there looking at this person, he can only move one part of his body. And I'm like, this guy has to be, not only has a pretty severe physical challenge, I mean, he's gotta have, well, he's gotta be a tad bit crazy as well. <laughs> you know, the light sort of went off in my brain. It was like, Guller, who are you to judge what somebody you know, wants to dream or, or, or even they think they would like to try. And, uh, you know, as a Sherpa people, you know, what I've learned so much about the Sherpa people is that they have this wonderful ability to look beyond what they see is what I call it. Like look beyond what you see in a human being. And Sherpa have a wonderful way of naturally looking towards somebody's heart first, beyond color, gender, orientation, physical disability, cognitive disability. And they say, when you look to another human's heart first, that other human notices that within a millionth of a second. And that my friends, that is when the magic starts happening, regardless, professionally, personally, on Everest, in the Himalayas, in the Sahara, in Peru, that's when the magic happens. Uh, you know, so, so cool. So first of all, every great accomplishment begins with that one question and that one idea. Can I? And so this guy in the audience says, can you, right? And in your mind, you're clicking off all these different reasons why and why not. And then the whys end up winning and you make this determination. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to do this. And, uh, you know, just to set the stage for the listeners, um, we're talking about Mount Everest. We're talking about just to get to base camp of Mount Everest. Now, that's not all that happened in this expedition. Just to get to base camp, you have to cross the Kumbu Icefall, which is ridiculous, dude. <laughs> it's, um, what I know about it from the pictures, you know, shifting and there's cracks that fall 30 feet plus, um, and, you know, there's avalanches almost daily. You contend with high altitude cerebral edema, high altitude pulmonary edema. And, you know, a small percentage of the people that set out to base camp even reach it. Yet, you brought this team, dude. So, I, a couple questions. Number one, there had to be a, a voice in your head going, Guller, are you friggin' nuts? And then, number two, how did you get past that, man? You know, we all face challenges in life. What, was the, what were the things that drove you past that voice to get that team where you did? Well, you know... Uh, I mean, one, it was, a, it was an incredible experience. I mean, you know, I've been, uh, I was working in, in Nepal for a number of years. And uh, yes, uh, 
really only about 40, 50% of all people that come out to base camp as their goal actually make it to Mount Everest Base Camp, right? We had 90, almost 95% of our team. And our team represented, it was the most diverse team ever uh, to reach Mount Everest Base Camp. We had those with cognitive challenges, physical challenges, never been on a camping trip before, never slept in a sleeping bag before, never been in a tent wow. before. Like all coming together to work together as a team. But to go back to what you said earlier, Phil, you know, how did I initially get over it? Well, for a lot of my life, I was, uh, and I think a lot of people are, we're on that I, I, me, me, me train, right? And finally, I was like, Guller, has that really worked for you much in your life? Has that really worked for you? And so I jumped off that train, hopped onto another train called the We Train. And I thought, you know what? If I can convince these people, that they can achieve this and to work together and to communicate effectively and to listen my side as well and try our best and approach it on a day-to-day basis, day by day, and solve our issues as quickly as possible uh, that we could be successful. And, you know, I tell folks all the time, you know, and the question is, why? what made this team uh, gel so much? Well, we had this, what we call open communication, <laughs> that people could feel free to say what was on their mind without fear of any, anything coming back untoward them. And I tell you, when you have meetings like that or discussions like that, you're already at a higher level. Uh, so you sort of cut through, I guess use, use another word, I'll use the word fluff, cut through the fluff and get... <laughs> And when you get to the point, the solution can be discovered and found much more effectively. You know, great points. And uh, by the way, uh, Team Everest uh, 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 is is an incredible documentary available on Amazon. I encourage all of you to watch it. Look, you know, those of you listening, we're moms and dads. We're we're in relationships, right? We're business leaders. Um, We're managers of people. We're We interact with others and to the ability that we can inspire, engage, and get the the common vision together, there's almost no limit to what we can accomplish. And I think Team Everest demonstrates that better than any story personally I've ever seen. So if you haven't seen the documentary, um, you you do have to see it. But you know, Gary, um, one of the things we talk about in the book is that, and listen, client, you know, Summiting Everest is a remarkable life accomplishment. And most of us, you know, I'd say everyone listening or almost everyone listening is never going to have that opportunity. But in life, we all do face our own Everest. Um, those things that push us to the edge, that, that tax every capability we have and stretch us beyond. And, um, you know, so what lessons do you have for those people facing their own personal Everest? You know, I think the most important thing for me is to not be afraid to try new things, right? Uh, and God, when we see how much we can actually uh, achieve when we put it out there a little bit, I know it's very scary and very fearful, but I can't think of anyone that I've ever met that has not taken a chance and they had not learned from that experience, right? I mean, it's like try something new, meet somebody new, travel to a new location. Uh, get involved with the community. I mean, just do something out of your norm. And I tell you, you will be rewarded with such wonderful experiences that you can then 
you can take that to your, your, your work. You can take that into your life. You can share it with, with your children. You can share it with your friends. And in doing that, will inspire those around you to perhaps even like think about, well, maybe they can try something new too or experience something new. I mean, I go back to where, you know, when I did the Ironman 70.3 in Hawaii, right? I could not swim even. I mean, the mountains and hiking and trekking, that's always been my comfort zone. But I wanted to see what it was really like to actually bike, swim, and run. And at the time, I was so scared of swimming, right? I mean, I swam a bit before I lost my arm, but I was so very scared. The first time I jumped in the pool, I could not even do one length, not even 25 meters swimming. But I made myself, and it was not easy, I made myself go to that pool every single day. And I started at 25, then I got to 40, then I got to 70, then I got to 120, then I got to 240. 300 meters was a huge, like, Everest for me. Right. And before I knew it, I was doing more than a mile swimming and under an hour. And I was like, oh, my God, it was that discipline. It was that showing up. And it was like being uh, confident in overcoming, you know, that fear I had uh, of swimming. And once I sort of broke through it and took my time doing it, it was like it was the most I was just telling a friend of mine just the other day. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life. So I want to get clear on a couple things. And before I do, um, you know, we're talking about some concepts. Number one, um, go out, try something new, go somewhere new. What we're really talking about is um, many times in life, we don't even realize it, but we step on this treadmill and we're kind of marching in place and nothing's changing. We're not challenging ourselves. We feel like we're moving, but in fact, we're still <laughs> in that same place we stepped onto an, an hour, a day, a month, a year or more ago, right? And you're saying, step off that treadmill and go somewhere different and new, right? And I love that, and get out of your comfort zone. But I gotta call you out on something, dude. So, first of all, you, yes or no, Iron Man was after Everest. One more time, I'm sorry, Phil. It's yes or no, uh, I, your Iron Man was after Everest. Oh, it was, yes, quite a number of years afterwards. So, help me understand this, I mean, Obviously, you're not a status quo guy. Um, you know, most people in life, many people in life would get to Choyoyu Summit and, you know, get to the top of Everest and say, you know what, I'm good. <laughs> I've done it. I'm good. But, you know, not only do you not do that, but, you know, you talked about swimming and, dude, we're friends, so I'm just going to say it. You're missing an arm and you're out there, you know, I get the running part, but, you, but swimming, um, <laughs> I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. Yeah, I still try to wrap my head around it as well, actually, just uh, getting over it. And, uh, you know, and I, when I talk to a lot of people, you know, it's, I mean, I was scared and I was nervous. And you got to imagine, too, this is Kona, Hawaii, where I lived at the time. I mean, this was at one of the best swimming pools on the island where a number of international triathletes, Ironman athletes, this is where they train. This is where they swim. So imagine this kind of. I'm a big guy with one arm showing up with his little speedo suit on and his <laughs> swimming cap. That's visual, Gary. <laughs> and how difficult it was for me to pull off my shirt and jump in that water because it was like, you know, when you're in that sort of fearful state, it's like everything around you just slows way down. And it's almost like everyone is watching every single movement that you make. And a lot of this is in our own mind. And I can assure for you and your listeners, that my God, it honestly took me many, many attempts to go from my car to the poolside and jump in that lane. 
I mean, it almost makes me sort of tear up because it was like, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. And then, you know, I realized, well, once I jumped in, nobody could see me. Although I wasn't swimming very fast, right? <laughs> tell who I was, unless they really closely looked at me because I had to develop this sort of freestyle stroke, breaststroke. I wouldn't say it's a new stroke because most of my swimming is done with a breaststroke, but I knew that particular method, I would have to be very streamlined, i.e. thinner, right? And two, really look at my, uh, uh, at, at the stroke itself so I could learn how to actually glide in the water and use minimal effort. <laughs> it's easy to talk about this now, but I'm just telling your listeners that it took me so long to actually feel confident. It took me months and months and months to feel confident when I took off my shirt and jumped into that pool. But once I broke through that, then it just started, the confidence started growing slowly, of course, but it eventually got to where I didn't even think about it anymore. And then when you erase that thought of the fear, then that's when we grow, right? That's when I went from 250 meters to 400 meters, almost in a, it, it seemed like it happened overnight. Of course it didn't, but it seemed like it did overnight because I was wasting, I was, I wasn't wasting so much energy with the fear. I was just arriving, getting out of my car, jumping in the pool, doing my laps, doing the discipline, training hard. And before, before I knew it, again, I was, I was swimming, you know, a mile in less than an hour, which is not bad for an old one-armed guy. So, <laughs> you know, and uh, <clears throat> so I want to say this a different way. Um, some of you listening may be on your way to a job interview and you're feeling nervous, right? And you're uh, adjusting your clothes and you're looking in the mirror and you're clearing your throat and you're practicing your lines. Some of you may be getting ready to step into an important meeting and you're hearing that little voice saying, man, did I prepare enough? How are they going to react? Um, all of these circumstances, right? And more are, you know, we look at a guy like Gary and we say, ever a summiter jumping in a pool, no big deal. And you just heard from him, it was a big deal. We all struggle with those same doubts and questions. And, you know, so what's the message Gary's saying? I think you're saying, do the thing, just get in, make it happen. Just push yourself, make it happen, do it, no matter how uncomfortable you are, right? Yes, I think the, the main thing, believe in yourself. I think that's what you were talking about earlier, Phil. That's where I think when we get on the treadmill, we get wrapped up in the minutia, the social media, going to work, sitting in traffic, put our money on the counter, grab the coffee, going, and then kind of repeat the next day. Almost like we're just existing, right? That's all we're doing. We're, we're sort of just existing. And that's not everyone, of course. But sometimes we have to take a back seat and we have to say, wait a second, am I just really existing or am I living? And once you make that thought in your brain, then, you know, if you're sitting and just taking it easy in your house or on your back porch, it's totally cool that you're living in the moment, you're in the present. But if you're just existing and kind of going through the motions, it's like, oh, that's when you've got to like be aware of that within yourself and then break free from that. And once you sort of break free from that, I tell you that, you know, you find a deeper meaning of believing in yourself. And that changes as we age too, right? And sometimes we have to check and recheck ourselves and tap back into what got us in that first interview with that great job when we were 23, just finished university. What got us in next great international sales job when I was 32, and now I'm leading a whole country. What got me into that C-suite at 38, I mean, and now all of a sudden I'm 45 and I'm making all this money. I've got all these wonderful things happening around me, but I'm not as happy as I should be. That's when you got to re-tap back into 
what got you there in the first place, right? And sometimes think differently, try new things, but ultimately it comes back to belief in yourself. And when you do that, you inspire those around you to do that, and then everybody grows. Beautiful. You know, I'm a big believer, Jason, as well. Uh, we're big believers in do one thing today, right? So sitting here, everybody's, you know, listening, you're getting inspired, inspired, your heart has to be pumping here in these stories. But all of that doesn't matter if you don't create incremental change. If you don't take what you're hearing and do something with it right now, today, right? So if you had one thing that the folks listening to you that you'd say, do this one thing today, different, new. What might that be? Uh, make somebody smile today. Right? <laughs> I make them smile, make them feel happy about themselves. It takes a minute of a second, I say, always, for somebody to know that you appreciate them as a human being. It can be some, somebody that's working behind the counter at Starbucks or your 7-Eleven or at the train station or your taxi or your Uber, your Lyft driver. I mean, it just takes a moment of direct eye, con eye contact, a millionth of a second for them to appreciate that you are looking at them as a human being first. And I tell you, there's not a greater feeling when you make that direct eye contact with somebody and you both have that kind of appreciation that, hey, we are brothers and sisters in this world. It may look a little different. Our color could be different. We may believe in something different. But, you know, for that particular moment in time, it's like, boom. But on a very personal level, you know, I have personally, Phil, you know me very well. I'm not a, a, a six foot two, 120 pound runner. I go freaking Budweiser Clydesdale, right? I mean, I can get, I can get the beer to where it needs to go and a whole bunch of it eventually, but I'm not sprinting to the finish line. So I signed up for a 10 K here to get my, my, uh, get my own self going, uh, here in the next six weeks, then a half marathon with my brother in, in a couple of months. And, uh, Ooh. so, you know, sometimes I say the hardest thing from, let's say for me today is going to be putting on my socks and my tennis shoes and getting out the front door. And I know once I get out that front door and you can use that in so many different you know, ways in your life. But uh, the hardest thing is getting out that front door. I know once I do that, then I'm on my way. But I tell you what, I can dream and wish that somebody's going to call me, even while I'm in the middle of putting one sock on with one arm, right? <laughs> Somebody calls me to take my mind away so I can falsely justify in my brain, <laughs> I don't run in today, right? And that's creating, that's already creating doubt. That's already creating like creating a challenge that's not even there, right? Because last night you were talking about how inspired you are to go run. This morning I wake up, I have my coffee. I can't wait to go run in today, right? But then eventually, you know, if the day sort of continues on, I don't keep that inspiration going, then I'll talk myself right out of it. So I need to also overcome that just like anybody else. You don't need to climb Everest, Toyo, you do an Ironman run across the, uh, the Sahara Desert. It's like sometimes it's just, just moving that extra foot. Again, again, I go back to, are you existing or are you living? Right? And if you're living, then be present and try new things. They don't have to be marathons or half marathons or 10Ks or Ironmans or Everest or MLS. It can be anything new. There's something to change the motion, change the energy, to bring some new goodness in. Right? And I tell you, you know, as I said at the very beginning, when you do that, that's when the magical things just start appearing. I had a friend of mine tell me one time when I was on the fence about going to India or not, and I was broke, didn't have the money, but I got invited to go over there and speak. And I was like, I can barely afford it. And the, and the gentleman told me, Gary, if you don't go, then there is no possibility of opportunities arising. Never. 
And he was so right. I took the plunge, went into debt, another $5,000 went to <laughs> India. And I met so many people. And I had so many wonderful experiences. And yes, on a professional level, I got invited back time and time again to speak. Was it well worth it? Absolutely. But it was that person saying that to me, Gary, look at this differently. Instead of the, the $5,000 you're going to debt, think about all the opportunity that you're going to miss out on. He goes, nothing's guaranteed. But he says, if you do not get on that plane and if you do not go, you will never know. He goes, is that what you want to live for? And anybody that knows me, the last thing I want is to be 75 years old, right? And be thinking like, I should have went to India when I was 41. And I chose not to over three and a half, four thousand dollars mm. mm. And I'm, people are now my friends. I know their kids. I know their family members. I know their colleagues. And they meet me when I'm in Portland. I see them when I'm in LA. I see them when I'm in New York. Forget about the business. It was the relationships. That was the opportunity. That was the blessing. Business will come, right? But the relationships and the opportunity and the kindness and the stories never go away. Beautiful. You know, and I want to speak straight from the heart right now and say, um, there may be folks listening right now that hear all of this and they say, yeah, you know, that's all fine and dandy, but you don't understand my situation. I'm broke. I'm going through a divorce. I just got laid off. Really tough, tough circumstances. And, you know, does that change the fact that you have to stay committed to daily disciplines? No, it doesn't. And in fact, what it does underscore is the importance of faith. So I think one of the best stories that illustrates faith that I know of is one that's shared in our book and I know you share with audiences. So I wonder, Gary, if you talk to us about the, the avalanche and the rice. It, it's and this is a story that has not just happened once. This situation, thank goodness, I'm still here, but it's happened more than a few times. But I'm in the Kungo Icefall, headed to Camp One with a very dear Sherpa friend of mine, and, and we're about halfway through the Kungo Icefall, and all of a sudden we hear this big boom, 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 and I stop. My Sherpa friend stops. We look up. We knew something had broken somewhere, and so we. Picked up our pace as much as you can do at 19, 20,000 feet for the first time. And we climbed for another 20 or 30 minutes and we heard the same sound again. It's just like boom, 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 twice as loud, twice as long. We look up on the sort of the southwest, the lower southwest face of Everest as avalanche is starting at the top of the Kundu Icefall and is coming directly toward us. And of course, I didn't know what to do. My Sherpa friend didn't know what to do. So, of course, we just put our arms around each other and honestly, sort of prepared to die. And it seemed like an absolute lifetime. And this thing's coming all around us. The debris hitting us on our helmets and our, on our shoulders and kind of getting around our feet and our climbing boots. And uh, all of a sudden, my Sherpa friend lets go of me and steps away from me three or four feet, reaches into his pocket, throws something three times in the path of this avalanche. Then he comes back and he squeezes me, got as tight as I've ever been squeezed by anybody in my entire life. And then it seemed like a lifetime. Then all of a sudden, everything just stopped. And it went absolutely quiet. Absolutely quiet. And we opened up our eyes. And we really couldn't see much because there was so much sort of dust and debris. And I swear, I swear, at that moment, and I know my Sherpa friend was thinking the exact same, that is this what heaven is like, right? I mean, we were in a cloud. And then everything settled. 
And I realized my Sherpa friend was alive. And he looked at me, of course, he was surprised I was alive. And I dusted <laughs> off the snow and the debris from his helmet and his shoulders. He did the same to me. And I looked at him and I said, what did you throw in the path of that avalanche? What was it? Well, apparently, when I went to Kathmandu to say goodbye to the base camp team, my Sherpa friend went to see this very old spiritual leader of the Kumbu Valley. His name is Lama Geshe. And he asked Lama Geshe for a blessing. And Lama Geshe gave my Sherpa friend some rice. And he told my Sherpa friend to throw this rice three times in the path of any danger that may come your way, and you'll be okay. So the Sherpa friend looks at me and goes, I threw this rice in the path of the avalanche. You know, over the years, I've looked at this and thought about this, this experience so many times. I mean, what was it the rice? I don't, I don't know. I'm not telling your listeners to go out and buy a bag of rice. I think everything's going to be all right. You know, was it that old man, the spiritual leader? I don't know that for sure either. But I can tell you one thing I do know, absolutely, 150%, that my Sherpa friend believed in that old man. My Sherpa friend believed in that rice. My Sherpa friend believed in me. And I also believed in him. And it was that belief that got us through. Because if it wasn't there, it would have been easy for him to run one way and for myself to run another way. And I can hand to heart say, if that would have happened, he would not be around anymore. And I surely would not be around anymore. So if you really think about it, it was one belief in each other, but also just belief. And when you have other people, you know, on that same path as you, I mean, that's, it's incredible. And it's very rewarding. And it inspires you to dig deep when things aren't going right. You know, you said it earlier. I know I can't relate to somebody that is homeless. I can't, I can't relate to somebody that just lost their job. I can't. But when you, you have to try to tap into that belief within yourself and deep within yourself. And it's there and it's there for everybody. You know, they say it runs parallel, you know, black and white, you know, dark and uh, light, you know, and sometimes you just have to reach a little bit higher and you sort of pull it down. If you look at it on a parallel, you pull it down and then you'll see the lights. I mean, and that's so true. I mean, because if they're running parallel together, the deeper you go, the light is coming there with you as well. And you just need to reach up and grab it and say, you know what? I like it up here better. <laughs> I like it up here better. Yeah. And you know, um, God, such an incredible story and still gives me chills. And we wrote about it in the book and I know it almost you know, as well as you do because I didn't live it, but uh, pretty darn close. And you know, um, if you're in that situation where job, divorce, whatever, whatever it may be, uh, realize that there are always options in life, even when sometimes it feels like there aren't. There is that light just above the darkness. And you're right, if you just stretch up uh, a little bit, you can see it. If you gather together the people around you that believe in you and that you believe in, uh, all of these things get you out of those situations. And you know the daily disciplines, the getting out of bed, the putting the socks on, the not answering the phone that's going to interrupt you from that run, all of these things combined, it's the little things in life that create excellence. It's the little things in life, the incremental changes we make that drive us forward, that lead us to great accomplishments. And no better story than Gary's. And I'll tell you, Gary um, is an international keynote speaker. Uh, he's spoken to audiences around the world. 
uh, for the top corporations. And, um, you know, uh, and, and by the way, check Gary out at GaryGuller.com. And if you're listening and you're head of a corporation, I can think of no better speaker for your next event. Um, and so I want to talk about that, Gary. You've spoken to audiences around the world. What has that experience been like and what has it, what changes have you seen occur within organizations you've worked with? Oh God, it's been, uh, well, it's been, one, it's been an experience I never thought would ever happen in my life. I mean, I never kind of ran around the Himalayas thinking one day that, you know, executives are going to invite me to open up or their, uh, their conference, wherever it may be in Bangalore or San Francisco or Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore, you know, Geneva, wherever. And uh, no, it's been an incredible run and I've met the most incredible people working for some of the most incredible organizations uh, around, around the globe. You know, I feel very blessed. I feel very, very blessed that I get to live and relive some of the greatest experiences of my life. And it's not always been good. And it's not always good, right? I'm as human as anybody. I still make stupid mistakes. I still fail, right? But I get back up on, you know, I hate to use this, the, the, the phrase, but I get back on that horse again. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but I never give up. And I think when I give presentations, right, I think the team ever story and other stories inspires the audience to come together at a higher level much more quickly. When we do that as humans, right, in a very connected way, then whatever uh, solution you're looking for, if it's better teamwork, if it's stronger leadership, if it's encouraging diversity and inclusion in the workforce, when we're together and we're thinking on the same page, I call it sort of collective leadership, independently thinking, but collectively for the vision. And when all those things come together, that's when the magic happens. And that can be, that can be an IBM of the world or an SAP of the world or a gas and oil or a pharma company, right? It's like, yeah, they're easy to bash for sure. But I can tell you firsthand, there are some really good executives within those organizations that are trying to do the right thing, right? For their customers, of course, but most importantly, for the world right? And when you see that and you get to know people like that within some of these organizations that sometimes get uh, sort of a, a negative hit, uh, but when you see these people that are trying to do something, of course, they have to look after their organization, but also they're thinking about their family, their children, their grandchildren, and most importantly, the world as one. And I could not ask for a greater gift that Mount Everest has given me than to have that ability to share that kind of uh, idea with the audience. Wow, <clears throat> powerful stuff. And, uh, you know, Team Everest, uh, uh, a Himalayan journey on Amazon, <clears throat> GaryGuller.com. Um, certainly our book, Make Others Greater, tells not only these stories, but a bunch of other cool stories. You know, there were, there were some times that got pretty hairy, as you might imagine. And, a guy like Gary Guller's life. And uh, <laughs> so you'll get some smiles. You may get a tear or two, but certainly you'll be inspired by that book. We hope that uh, you'll take it. You'll take the time to check it out and read it. We'd be honored if you did. And Gary, on behalf of Jason Madden, my co-host, such an honor to talk to you. I think it's been an amazing conversation. And uh, for those of you listening, um, I hope you'll subscribe. 
guaranteed to produce more content. And maybe if we're lucky, we'll get Gary back again someday soon. I'd be delighted. I'd be delighted. You're a brother from another mother, Mister, and I'm uh, I'm very happy to know you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person here pretty soon. Yes, sir. You will, my friend. All right. Aaron. Yep. Take care, my friend. We'll see everybody soon.